Find your seats. As you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, page 911 in the Pew Bibles. It should be around you if you don't have a Bible. Also will be on the screen. Uh, This morning uh, is both a happy and a sad day. Happy in the sense that we are wrapping up four months in the Pathways series. And God has been so kind to us over this last four months. So it's a little sad uh, to see it come to an end. But also just rejoicing in all that God has done. And this morning we're going to talk about what does it mean for us as the people of God um, to live with God and live on his mission. And so uh, I want to begin by introducing, uh, he may, this may be a familiar name to some of you, but for others uh, it, it may be new, uh, and it's A.J. Jacobs. Uh, and I've got a little clip of a social experiment that he lived for a year. All right, so that is A.J. Jacobs. He spent one year trying to take the Bible as literally as possible. And I want to share with you just a few of his reflections. Uh, Mr. Jacobs is not what we would consider a a believer in any sense of the word, but he just wanted to kind of get in the mind of what it might be like to take the Bible literally. And this is what he said. He said, He said, this has been one of the most profound and life-changing experiments that I've ever done. He said, I spent a year trying to follow all the rules of the Bible. The year of living biblically, and as I understood it as this for two, I did this for two reasons. The first was that I grew up with no religion at all. And as I say in my book, I'm Jewish in the same way that the Olive Garden is Italian. Good. Yes. So not very. I've become increasingly interested in religion. I do think it's one of the defining issues of our time. And I have a son, and I want, him, I want to know what to teach him, so I decided to dive headfirst and try to actually live the Bible. So this is what he said. There's a law in Leviticus that says you cannot shave the corners of your beard. I didn't know where the corners were, so I just let the whole thing grow. <laughs> the Bible says you cannot wear, wear clothes made of mixed fiber, so I thought, sounds strange, but I'll try it. So I got rid of all my polycotton t-shirts. I will say this was an amazing year, and it was life-changing and incredibly challenging. And there were two types of laws that were particularly challenging. The first was avoiding the little sins that we all commit every day. You know, I could spend a year not killing, but suspending a year of not gossiping, not coveting, not lying, you know? I live in New York, and I work as a journalist, so this was like 75 to 80% of what I do. But it was really interesting because I was able to make some real progress. I couldn't believe how much my behavior actually changed my thoughts. 
This is one of the huge lessons of the year. It's, it's almost as if I pretended to be a better person, I became a little bit of a better person. So that's some of the things that we've been learning inside the Pathways series, is that when you change some of your rhythms of life, it actually begins to change you. So I always thought you change your mind and you change your behavior, but often it's the other way around. You change your behavior and then your mind changes. So, you know, if you want to become more compassionate, you visit sick people in the hospital and you will become more compassionate. You donate money to a cause and you become more emotionally involved in that cause. So it really was cognitive psychology, you know, cognitive dissonance that I was experiencing. The Bible actually talks about this in a very primitive way. It says in the book of Proverbs that if you smile, you will become happier, which we all know actually is true. I introduce you to Mr. Jacobs for a couple of reasons. The first is, I mean, I just think it's a, it's a cool experiment that he underwent. I think this first took place in about 2007. Um, he gets this right in a ton of ways. Um, I think he's asking the right questions. What would it mean to actually live the Bible? But he actually misses the whole point of the Bible, which is we are terrible at keeping rules and that God sent someone in our place to keep the rules for us, and that was Jesus. Um, But I think the question for us is an important one. What would it look like if we actually tried to live the Bible? Not the Old Testament laws that are to keep us ceremonially pure or uh, to keep us clean. But what would it be like if we actually believed and tried to live the book of Acts together as a church? What would it be like if we considered this more than just a fairy tale, more than just something that we um, kind of count it as some form of church history, but what if we looked at it as this was the blueprint that God had designed for us to live in our everyday, ordinary lives? And so that's what we're going to look at as we look at how do we live on mission. We're going to look at Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. I'm going to begin with Acts chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bibles open and you're able to stand, would you stand with me as we look at God's Word? Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. 
Oh, there's so much now. We want a real encounter with you. We don't want to substitute. We don't want to go through the motions. Um, we know for that to happen, for us to begin to really believe and take you at your word, we need you to send the Holy Spirit, which you are pleased to do when we ask. So we humbly ask as your people that you would help us to see and to understand and to believe um, and to live in the good of what you have laid out for us today. I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray when it's natural for us to begin to think about a different kind of rhythm as the summer is upon us, um, that we wouldn't just look at rest as something that we do apart from you, but something that we do in you um, and something that we can give away to other people. So I pray that you would equip us to do that. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned in worship this morning, we celebrate with the global church that this is Pentecost Sunday, that we're celebrating with people all over the world the fact that God has sent His Spirit into the world to empower us to live as His witnesses. And it's, um, it's an amazing privilege to think that, that God is not just far off and distant, but He has drawn near. We celebrate in Christmas the incarnation that God is with us, and in Pentecost we celebrate this truth that God is in us, that he has moved us from death to life. And that idea that he's moved us from death to life helps us to live not just isolated individual lives, but live as a part of his story and to live as his witnesses. The big idea of the book of Acts is that the works of Jesus continue through his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just because Jesus is not here doesn't mean Jesus is not at work. Jesus continues to work throughout the ages through his people by the power of his spirit. And I love just this interaction between Peter and John and this man who was born lame. He's been that way for over 40 years. He sat at this gate not expecting much, you know, maybe hoping for a handout. And at that very moment, the power of God breaks in. That's what Pentecost is all about, that, that God is not bound by our own expectations or even our own limitations, that he can break into the story at any time he wants and change a person's life forever. You probably have to look no further than your own story when God opened up your eyes. But there's a sense of, of destiny. I, I love this, this picture because it's very ordinary in one sense where Peter and John are just doing some Jesus stuff, right? They're going to the temple to pray. And on the other hand, it's extraordinary because God is with them and there's an appointment that God has for them. And they reach out through the power of the Spirit and they see this man who was born lame and everything is different. It would have been very easy, right? Especially if Peter and John were modern-day Americans to miss this opportunity. The thing that this story hinges on is seeing people. In these ten verses, there are six references to actually seeing. Let's look at verses 3 through 10 one one more time and see if you can pick up on them. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter, 
directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Jesus said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And this is the result. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this brings me to my first point. Mission begins with really seeing people. Mission begins, right? There's a difference between being in a crowded room, right? And seeing someone with our physical eyes and seeing them the way that God has created them. Seeing them with the eyes of faith, what God might be pleased to do inside their life. So for us to be a missionary people, it means that we actually have to be present. We actually have to slow down. That we actually have to look at people in their station of life, where they are, and see into their lives what God might actually be pleased to want to do. We have to look below the surface, and we have to appreciate what God may be pleased to do. Um, And this means, honestly, for us as Americans, um, that we might be less efficient than we think we should be, but it means we will be more fruitful than we could ever imagine, right? That God actually knows what he's doing. It says in Acts chapter 17 that he's given us boundary lines, that he's given us places where we dwell, where we live, where we work, the people that we're friends and neighbors with. All of those things are not by happenstance. They're, They're happening because God has designed it to be so. And so what he wants to do for us as a missionary people is to begin to open up our eyes to see the world the way that he sees the world. The truth is, oftentimes, right, I mean, we can be so busy for God that we actually miss God, that he actually wants to have this living, breathing, dynamic relationship where he can stop us and turn us and help us to fix our attention on people that need him. It's no different for us. I mean, God has given us all kinds of opportunities each and every day where there are people, they may be dressed up on the outside, they may appear to be happy, in their suburban-looking home, but just below the surface, there's someone that's desperate to be loved. There's someone that's desperate to connect with the power and the presence of God. Really seeing people also means that we need to meet people where they are, right? They didn't make an appointment for next Tuesday to talk with this guy over coffee. They actually changed what they were doing. They directed their attention towards this man, and they connected him with the power and the presence of God. Hayden did a wonderful job a few weeks back just talking about the reality that people can't be projects. They can't be appointments in our calendar. Really seeing people means that we have empathy and we have compassion, that we try to figure out what's going on in their life and in their mind and in their world, and then we try to connect that reality with who God is. 
So last month, uh, last Sunday was Mother's Day, and so Jen and I had the privilege. We um, went over to Memphis, left this meeting, went right over to a Redbirds game, which was awesome. Um, not ever really been a Redbirds fan, but I mean, lots of good food and lots of fun together. And as the game was over, um, we were staying downtown in a hotel, and so all we really wanted to do was retire from one event and go to another event. And if you've ever been downtown Memphis, I mean, that, that gives you several opportunities to come across uh, panhandlers. And so this was the last thing that I really wanted to deal with at this moment. But there was just something inside of us, and I could tell that Jen was comfortable. I, I knew this guy was going to approach us, and I knew he was going to ask us for money, and legitimately didn't have a dollar to give him, but I said, hey, I would be glad to get you a meal or some food, and to my surprise, he took me up on that, and uh, inconveniently, the closest convenience store was about six blocks back the way that we had just walked, and so we began this six-block journey with this man, and it was a colorful conversation, to say the least, and I'll give you the PG version, but essentially what he said to us was, Thank you for noticing me. Thank you for not ignoring me. Thank you for treating me like a person. And so we made this journey. We bought him some food, prayed for him, and just said, hey, we want you to know that God still cares about you, right? Did anything miraculous happen? I don't think so. But in that moment, we were able to communicate to him that, hey, there's, there's something bigger out there. God actually cares about you. And in and, and that moment, I mean, it was radically inconvenient for me. It was the last thing that we wanted to do. But I think that's, um, I don't always respond that way. You know, I mean, there's so many opportunities each and every day that I just pass off and walk by. But sometimes um, God's pleased to get our attention because he actually loves and he actually wants to reach people. So we all have opportunities like this each and every day. Whether it's someone you come across at the park, if it's a young mom that's overwhelmed, it's a fellow student that is struggling with depression, you know. I mean, there are countless opportunities to stop and to share and to care the love of God. Jo Saxton, in her book, The Dream of You, she says this. She says, when we look at the first century church, we see transformed believers living in kingdom purpose in every part of their lives. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was a waiter. Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila planted churches, trained leaders, and made tents. Eunice and Lois were mother and grandmother to Timothy and nurtured his faith, producing one of the key leaders of the early church. Luke was a doctor. Lydia was a businesswoman. A home was not just a home. A meal was more than a meal. A job was more than a job. All of life presented opportunities to see God's kingdom and his will to be done in their little piece of earth as it was in heaven. And so I think for us as the people of God is just slowing down and asking God, would you open my eyes and help me to see why I'm on the planet? Would you help me to see the boundary lines that you've given me in a way that's redemptive and faith-filled and hopeful? And, and honestly, it's really easy in especially the deep south where Christianity is as common um, as a cup of coffee from Starbucks, it's, it's easy for us to forget that this is about God breaking in and changing people's lives. 
that he actually wants to save people and that he actually wants to use us to do that. Which brings me to my next point. Mission is about connecting people to the power of Jesus. Mission is about connecting people to the power of Jesus. Look at verses 11 through 16. So after being healed, this is what happened. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. And when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And this is the verse to pick up on. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of you all. So our commission and our mission flows from who Jesus is. What holds chapter 3 and chapter 4 together is this, the thing that we were singing about this morning. It is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus represents his character. It represents his authority. It represents his power. This is the name that is above every name. This is the name that heals people. This is the name that saves people. This is the name that changes people. This is the name that at a moment can break in and change everything for anyone in this room. That Jesus Christ actually lived, died, and conquered death in the grave. And Pentecost is about the fact that God loves to save people, that he loves to move people from death to life. And for us as the people of God, we don't want to grow overly familiar with that. Listen, Jesus did not die and send the Holy Spirit in the world so that a trickle of his spirit would come into the city of Jonesboro and create a room full of nice people. The Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost so that life would happen inside this room, that life would flow from this room to the city. That's the reason that the Spirit was given. Not so that we can be a holy huddle, not so that we can high-five each other, but so that we as the people of God can really proclaim with authenticity and authority that grace changes everything. Right? So if the Spirit comes and mission is about connecting people to the power of Jesus, right? It's not about making nice people. It's about moving people from death to life. Joe Saxon also says this. What does this look like? What does the kingdom of heaven look like? Don't grow familiar with this. It looks like good news, forgiveness, mercy, healing, love, justice, and restoration. When heaven touched earth, people were set free from the kingdom of darkness. The former untouchables were touched. The outcasts were given a place in the community. The people who had been signaled, singled out for hate were radically loved. And the people that were far from God, who tried for years to be good enough to be loved, and that's our city, discovered God loved them. 
the kingdom of heaven looked exactly like proclamation, the message of salvation and freedom. So this is important for us because there's a couple of things that happen if we don't pursue this kind of lifestyle. If we don't pursue this kind of lifestyle, the first thing that it does is hollow out our spirituality, right? I mean, there's such a distance, and that's, that's why it's so awesome to have Martin here from India. That there, there shouldn't be this wide gap between what we read here and what we experience and what we pursue. If we do that, then we just become a, a kind of a group of people that just have a lot up here but are not able to live as God's people. So it can hollow us out. Um, it also can make us cynical, right? I mean, you can grow cynical when we don't live like this. I mean, we have attitudes like, does God really work like this anymore? But the truth is, if we pursue this and we're living into this and we don't see it, a healthy way of doing that is to make us desperate, right? I mean, you can read the book of Acts and say, Father, why not here? Why not us? Why not use this church? Why not use me to see your kingdom come like this? And with all the uncertainty in the world, right? I mean, there was, the, I believe, the 22nd school shooting this year. And there is a world that is desperate for hope. There is a world that is desperate for just the reality of the power of Jesus, right? I mean, even you can look at the royal wedding yesterday. I mean, there was, a, there was a real celebration happening because the gospel of Jesus Christ was made clear. People were intrigued. Social media was blowing up because good news was proclaimed. There's a world that is desperate for the reality of Jesus. And this is exactly what we have J.D. Greer in his book, Not God Enough, says this. He says, we want a God who will restore us to a peaceful equilibrium to take away our stress and promise us a blissful afterlife. Most Christians haven't rejected God. They have just reduced him. But a God we can predict, instruct, and control is not a God that will captivate our affections or command our devotion. He is not God enough. He's a God we can never really trust because he's not wise or glorious enough to account for the glories and the tragedies of our existence. Because we have made him small enough to be understood, he is no longer big enough to be worshipped. Right? The book of Acts, right? I mean, I'm taking a risk. This is about a big God, right? He's a God that can satisfy, a God that can save, a God that can renew, a God that can restore. And thankfully, we do have a God that's big enough to satisfy, a God that's big enough to be worshipped. That's exactly what happens in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. I mean, this man is healed. He's He's instantly made strong and he jumps up and he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. And his song is met by the song of the crowd. Like people are literally rioting because the power of God has broken forth. And people are like, I've never seen anything like this. I knew this guy. He's over 40 years old. And now he's healed and he's made whole in the presence of Jesus. And the song of Jesus goes forward. That's what the mission is supposed to be about. It, it begins with our own worship of Jesus, and it ends with other people worshiping the Savior. So we want to be a group of people that pursue 
that kind of lifestyle. And that's, I mean, honestly, I mean, there's a lot of reasons that we're involved in the nations. We're commissioned to do so. But we as a people need to see God's power break out of our normal controlled environment so that we can know that what we read and what we see is true and that he actually wants to bring us back discipled and learned from the nations so that we can spread the good news of the gospel in the same way. And the truth is, in the book of Acts um, and in our own city, not everyone is actually thrilled with the power of God breaking in. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Which brings me to my final point. Opposition plus faith equals progress. Right? If you are experiencing opposition... If you are trying to live on the mission of God, I promise you, you will experience opposition. And what's true in the book of Acts is actually true in our own time and in our own city. The people that get the most pushback about the power of God breaking in is actually religious people, right? The Sadducees were the theological liberals of the day. They had exchanged the reality of the power of God for a form of manipulation and control. They didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so what we want to be is a group of people that are desperate for the power of God to break in and see the power of God to change lives. I mean, most of us are not going to experience opposition like it appears in the book of Acts. But what you will experience from people will be a distancing, a questioning. Like, hey, I mean, we want, we want this much of God, right? I mean, this, this kind of God is explainable and we can kind of control him. But when you start talking about miracles and you start talking about the Holy Spirit being poured out, like people literally get nervous. <laughs> like, and the reality is that the Holy Spirit is God. Like, I don't know how we, as people that believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, can be afraid of one-third of the Trinity. Like, the Spirit is good and has good gifts for us, right? I mean, you're not going to, I mean, if you ask God to fill you with the Spirit, I mean, Luke 11 talks about this. He's not going to give you some janky gift. Like, He's actually going to give you what you ask for. So let's not be a group of people that are afraid of the power of the Spirit, but let's be a group of people that are desperate for God to move and to change. So there was a boldness, right? I mean, they were persecuted. They were brought before this council. And look at verse 13 of chapter 4. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Right? This is not about who's the smartest in the room. 
right? It says at the end of chapter 3, I mean, this is not about our goodness or our piety. This is about the power of Jesus breaking in and making everything new. So it says that they were able to recognize that they had been with Jesus. This meant that their lifestyle was increasingly reflecting Jesus. That there was an aroma that was coming off of their lives that they began to look into you know, and begin to look and to uh, follow Jesus in increasing ways. And they commanded them. They said, hey, we don't want you to speak in this name anymore. And these guys, all they could say is, there's nothing else that we could do. There's no other name in heaven, on earth, that people are saved. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We are witnesses that Jesus Christ was crucified that he was buried for three days and then he was raised again. We are his witnesses, right? And that's what it means for us to live on mission. God's not asking you to know every conundrum inside of the Bible. He's just simply asking us as the people of God to bear witness to what we have seen and what we have heard, right? And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, that's a lot. He's moved us from death to life. So opposition... um, in a Western context, most of the time we think of that as a stop sign or a yield sign at least, like when we're encountering something that's difficult. And that's just because as a society, comfort is our idol. But around the world, people get excited when they experience opposition because it is a real opportunity to trust God more. And, and the reality is when God sets up a world where we encounter opposition and he shows himself strong, he actually receives more glory than if we actually, you know, were just successful at every single thing that we did. Opposition is an opportunity for us to cultivate faith and to see God become more glorified. So don't, go, don't grow discouraged if things are not happening the way that you think they should happen. Right? Doesn't mean that you should give up. Doesn't mean that you should go look for another field to sow seeds in. But what it does mean is that we have an opportunity to trust God to make things grow. And what we see in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 is that there is nothing, there is no form of opposition that can stop the advance of the gospel. That the gospel breaks through. This opposition did not keep them silent. This opposition actually caused them to want to pray. Look at the end of chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 29 through 31. This is their response to persecution. And I'm always provoked by this. It says, they call a prayer meeting, and this is what they say. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So when opposition comes, the church begins to pray, right? And I don't know what opposition is going to look like for you personally, but I mean, that opposition hit the church. Like, there's going to be seasons where we as a church face opposition, Right? And we have a choice in that moment to say this opposition is something that we're going to bow to or we're going to buckle to or it's an opposition. It's a, a chance for us to build and cultivate faith and begin to make progress. God actually 
puts, allows opposition to come our way so that we can grow and we can trust him. Mission is about connecting people with the power of Jesus, but mission is also fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? There's, if there's anything that Pentecost reminds us of is that, that God is eager to empower his people to be his witnesses, that we don't have to do this in our own strength, that he is glad to give us more and more of himself. We can't trust in mere strategy alone, although we need strategy. We can't trust in just being able to muster up enough love for people. Even if you are a master of the Bible, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to make this alive so that people um, are moved from death to life because you can only do so much, right? There's, There's not a person in here that can move someone from death to life. That's God's job. But the reality is he wants to use our voice and our lives to begin to see people move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life. So we want to pray this morning for boldness, right? Because we're not naturally bold. Most of us are naturally fearful. But what God's pleased to do in those moments is to answer our prayers and allow us to grow in boldness. So let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that his name is above all names. I pray that right now you would fill us all with the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be more bold in our witness for you, that we would not do this in our own strength. Father, we know the experience of trying to do it in our own strength where we get worn out and tired, but we want to know the strength of being empowered and emboldened for your mission. I pray that you would do that for us as a church. I pray that you would cultivate a reality and a relationship with you, that we listen to you and that we can see other people and that we're empowered by your spirit to speak words of life. Um, We know that you're pleased to do more than we can ask or imagine or think. So I pray that you would do that for us as your people. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.